So if we, had, we want to become innovative cultures or societies, then we need to have creative individuals that move and are the engine that spark that movement. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. And my name is Dr. Matthew Wurwood. This is the Fueling Creativity and Education podcast. On this show, we'll be talking about creativity topics and how they apply to the field of education. We'll be speaking with scholars, educators, and resident experts about their work, challenges they face, and digging deeper into new and varying perspectives of creativity. All with the goal to help fuel a more rich and informed discussion that provides teachers and parents with knowledge they can use at home or in the classroom. So let's begin. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. And on this episode, we welcome Lola Schnapp, who is a creativity and education advocate, especially for the Hispanic community. Her passion is to share the power of creativity as an engine for change and growth in education. She finds creativity to be the missing link in education since it helps to achieve great work by having fun and being motivated. She is the co-author of 20 Lessons to Weave Creative Thinking into Your Curriculum, available in English and Spanish. And I should note that her co-author colleague is my co-host, Cindy Burnett. She has worked as a primary school teacher and technology integration specialist, coaching teachers to integrate technology and new methodologies into their classrooms. Currently, she works in Chile, helping to transform schools into innovative communities and cultures through consultancy and training. Lola, welcome to the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So Lola, you talk about us having to be deliberate about creativity in education. Could you explain what you mean by being deliberate about creativity in education? Well, being deliberate means having the option. I mean, making the decision to help students develop their creativity. So being intentional about it. So... For example, on 20 Lessons, the book that we wrote, we, we provide certain skills and specific steps to do so. That is a deliberate way of fostering creativity. So not just hoping it happens, just because we are creative, then people will cre um, be creative. It needs to be intentional. And that obviously relates to how you see schools transforming into innovation cultures that foster creativity. Of course. Creativity for me is the... Um, so this is my definition about innovation. Innovation is the successful implementation of a creative solution. So you can have a creative solution, but, it, but you never implement it, or you try to implement it, but you're not successful with it. So then there's no innovation. So I believe creativity is the engine that moves innovation. So in order to transform schools into innovative cultures, then we need to be deliberate about creativity since, since, since it is what starts the innovation process. Without creativity, we don't have innovation. So if we, had, we want to become innovative cultures or societies, then we need to have creative individuals that move and are the engine that spark that movement. And so this transition from ideas becoming solutions that lead to change in a community is really what you're, you're focused on. And it's, it's creative individuals within the building that produce those innovative outcomes. Yes. And, and then creativity is not only what ignites the first ideas or sparks the first creative solutions. Creativity is also going to help you uh, move through the change process, which is 
painful at many times. There's a lot of resistance, fallbacks. Um, entrepreneurs, I'm sure they know this. You move 10 steps forward, but then 20 steps behind, and that is going to happen. If you're able to have a creative attitude towards change, um, you can thrive. If you're able to um, uh, experience uh, fun, playfulness, being open, being able to prototype, not become in love with your ideas, but test them and actually find out if they are being um, useful and they are actually solving the problem. And if you go through all of the, those processes, if you have a creative attitude, then you're able to surf the wave instead of being, you know, when there's a wave and you get, you know, all... Oh, I love it. I I love it because because what I'm envisioning, you know, you know, and I referenced this in in a film I made. Like you know, new technology, for example, was was like a tidal wave that kind of really disrupted and, and crushed through everyone's everyone's classrooms, right? And what you're saying is that you know, creativity, being creative, and applying these creative thinking skills is a way to which you can wait, you know, ride that wave ride that wave successfully, maybe do some kind of flips and, and twists and turns on the on the surfboard. Yeah, and enjoy it and enjoy it. And you can see like with COVID, it was very, um, you could really see teachers, some teachers were thriving and they were enjoying and learning to use the, the green screen and edit learning capsules, creating different games for the students and how they might make students learn or help them learn something at a distance. But then you saw so many other teachers suffering and struggling and becoming stressed. Some, some, a lot of teachers decided to quit their jobs because it was too much stress for them. So the only thing that we know for sure is that change is constant and change is happening. The only thing that is going to change is like how fast it's going to be. Sometimes it's very fast, sometimes it's very slow. This change in education has been, I don't know, for the past, I would say 20 years, maybe more. We know that systems were not working, but then COVID came and made us see that a lot of our current systems in education are not working. So you've mentioned uh, creativity can help manage change. It can make learning more fun. It can make students more motivated. And I know, Lola, you do a lot of coaching with teachers. So when you go in and you watch a teacher and you're watching the teacher just give a standard sort of lesson lecture and the students are looking very glazed over in boredom. What do you recommend? How do you get them started in bringing creativity into their lessons? The first thing would be just to try it, you know, um, embrace the challenge, tolerate some ambiguity, ambiguity, and take a chance because the rewards are going to be massive. So once students get, get engaged in creative endeavors and they they accept themselves as creative beings and instead of telling them no this is not the time to be creative you're telling them bring on your creativity full full potential you can see how students start to shine they i've been uh, saying this for a while that when we deliberately foster creativity creativity has so many positive side effects when we develop creativity with students then we're also helping them develop tolerance, resilience, embrace challenges, and, and see how they can achieve all these other different things. So I will tell teachers, take the chance and, and try to do it. One of the easiest ways to do it is 
um, I, I've learned to it is playfulness and humor. So when you add that to your classroom, you know, just put some music, play a game, um, start with a joke, or just start your lesson with a meme. And from that, you know, uh, you can build on something. That creates it like our brain. It's wired in a way that if we experience playfulness and humor, we become more open. We are open to the experience of learning. Our guard becomes, you know, becomes down and we're open to that experience. So it's a very good way to start. So take a chance and include some playfulness and humor. And also you need to model this. So if you are not willing as a teacher to put yourself in uncomfortable positions, you can never expect students to be become uncomfortable. So if you're not if you are not willing to collaborate with other teachers, you can never expect your students to collaborate. If you are not willing to be creative and put your creative in service of your students, then you can never expect students to also put their creativity in service. So you need to embody that that you want to see in students. Now, later on in the show, we're going to get a little bit more into the work that you've done with 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 Cindy around specific creative thinking skills and you're referencing some of those creative thinking skills in that response. But before we get into that, I was wondering if we could kind of just talk a little bit more about technology because you referenced, you know, technology as as one of the tools to which you bring in the classroom. So could you talk a little bit about what you see as a relationship between maybe digital technology and being able to promote creativity in the classroom environment? I think technology is like one of the biggest allies of creative development for different reasons. First, if we all, if we go uh, to the web, everything is there. So whatever you want to learn, you can find it somewhere. There's a tutorial for anything. I, I, I really, I don't know which is the randomest tutorial I found, but I found it. So there's anything for everyone. If you want to learn, you can find it there. So it's actually exciting as teachers to have that because now I can focus not on teaching content because students can find that online. I'm, I'm more into challenging them to finding relations to what do they think about and what can they build from that. So use the knowledge to create value. So that is one thing. The other thing is creativity also provides a lot of tools for um, creating different sorts of, of content. And students right now, they are um, really stuck to their screens. So if you're giving them possibilities to create content and become part of that, what they are wired to, you're actually helping them become um, not consumers, but producers and creators. So they are able to create that. Not only digital technology, I would say also, you know, maker spaces and helping them build so not only digital so maybe programming and robots and building you know wood woodwork and whatever it gives a sense of accomplishment so when you're able to build something with your own hands so you can watch the tutorial on how might i build a bookshelf and then actually create it you're giving those students the experience to be um self-sufficient for themselves um, last year, I had an experience. We were doing um, design thinking. 
project. So eighth graders were building, um, were helping solve problems for pre-K classes. So they talked with the teachers and they talked with the students. And one of the solutions that they came up with was, was a bookshelf. So they built a bookshelf with uh, wheels. And I remember uh, one of the eighth graders like being very surprised, like, I can't believe this, I built a shelf. And it's not like, and she was so excited about achieving that. So uh, she asked, uh, they came with teachers to, um, they made the, the sketch of what the shelf, bookshelf might look like, the dimensions, where should it fit and everything. It wasn't the best bookshelf, but because, you know, it, it, of course, it was the first time she, they built a bookshelf. But they were able to, to do that, and the sense of accomplishment was so big, there's no test for that, you know? When you're, when you're there and, and, and that kind of spark um, shines through. So technology helps do that. Not only digital technology, but all of the makerspace movement as well. I love those responses. And we, we had an episode with Carrington Fork and we spoke a lot about this idea of producing as well as consuming information and content. And, you know, I think it is so important, number one, from just having a better understanding of, you know, content and the impact it has in our lives, if we can get a better understanding of how to produce it. And I think digital technology is certainly making it easier and easier for everyday people and students in the classroom to go about producing information, producing content to which they can then share and distribute. But I also like that the, the first uh, thing that, that you shared in response to that question I asked, because you're talking about how we can utilize the information that exists on the World Wide Web as part of, of the creative process. And I'm thinking about a project that I'm currently currently working on and I've kind of had it in my head kind of like I kind of think I know what I want to do and I kind of and I you know I don't quite know what this thing's called I'm not even sure if I can get this material but by going online I've got better and better as I've kind of gone through this process I'm getting better at the words that I'm putting into the search engine and I'm now starting to generate examples to see examples of what it is that either I want to create or what I might create and now through my interaction with with the browser and, and online information, I now think I've got a really, really good idea of, of what I want to do for this project. So I think just utilizing the World Wide Web as we incubate ideas is a resource that we probably don't talk enough about, but it is a very, very important tool. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, it's for example, like if you use uh, Pinterest, you know, and make students, we, all, we think about Pinterest of just like, you know, more related to, you know, cooking and that you're just like saving some recipes or whatever. But if we actually uh, shift it into your building your own idea gallery for things, you know, you're becoming, uh, you're becoming more divergent. Divergency is not only something that happens when we are going to do a brainstorming session. Okay, let's use our divergent thinking. We should be divergent in general. So when we're doing our research or state-of-the-art research, we should also be divergent there. And tools like Pinterest might help do that. And actually, Pinterest was where I found the idea. It was, it was, it was Pinterest where I couldn't find, I couldn't find what I was trying to do anywhere. But it was actually when I did the Google images, the images that I found that were close to it was on Pinterest. So totally agree with that. It also reminds me of a blog that one of my former students also wrote called Copying for Creativity. And she talked about how she would teach her students 
how to make something by copying what someone else did. And at first I thought, why would we want people copying? But she made this wonderful case that when you copy what someone else did, it gives you the tools on how to sort of create it. And then when you go to do it again, you have the confidence because you've built it, but then you have the confidence to make it your own. So if you have the student who has made a bookshelf, has copied all the instructions, well, maybe next time she could add another layer to it or she could position it in, di- in a different way. So it's interesting when you think about copying, you normally wouldn't want students to copy, but if you think about sort of like Steal Like an Artist by Austin Kleon, which, you know, the whole premise of that opening of that book was, you know, take what other people are doing and run with it and then make it your own. So I don't think we talk enough about that in in the classroom is be, giving students that opportunity to create and then to copy what other people are doing. And then there's the idea of like craftsmanship. I think Glad Glavenau talks about this um, in creativity, that there's also when you go and you see, you know, in uh, artisans' villages and you see the craftsmanship that they have. And that is something we also need to develop with students. It's, um, which is related to prototyping and, you know, having the, um, you know, all the, the different experience, something that you cannot learn just like in one session from another and like here's the thing like you you need to watch how they're doing it the different techniques because it's from that where you're going to use that and apply it somewhere else so i i believe that all of these experiences are part of our mini c creativity so we need to provide students with all of these experiences to develop this mini c as much as they can because that when that happens is when they are going to be able to go eventually across industries, you know, using what I learned here to use it there, we would say across, you know, subject areas while we're in school, but then when they're older, we need to help them. Okay, so this that you learned from this craftsmanship here, maybe you can use it in this science, I don't know, when you're older and you create a new vaccine, maybe there's something here that you might learn there. And we need to develop that. Lola, you're spot on. It was Vlad Glavino that wrote that. And in fact, he talked about it in our interview with him in season one, that creativity can be looked at from three different perspectives. Creativity as improving on things, creativity as expression, and creativity as craftsmanship. And he wrote a journal article on that. So I remember asking him because I thought it was really interesting. So thanks for bringing that up. And in, in keeping with the the, the Glavino theme and bringing this to sociocultural theory, you know, we, we spent a lot on the show talking about the environment, talking about people, talking about audience, which are all part of the 5A framework, but we haven't really spent a lot of time talking about the concept of affordances. But technology is an affordance to which we have in the classroom. And, you know, if you take something as simple as, as Google Drive or, or even Google Docs, for example, that is a tool most educators have. How we perceive that as a tool in our classroom environment, how we use that as a tool in our classroom environment, you know, speaks to, to our creativity 
and also speaks to the larger, larger concept of sociocultural theories. So I think everything you've shared reminds us how important it is to also think about the affordances that exist in our environment, such as technology tools, to think about how we're utilizing it, to your point, to kind of nurture mini-C creativity, going online, making new discoveries, but then also beginning to apply knowledge to go and create things and perhaps, dare I say, get closer to little C as we start to produce artifacts that can be shared and distributed outside the four walls of the classroom. I agree because sometimes what happens with technology is we get very excited. Oh, I really find this app and it's very cool, so I'm going to use it. But why are you going to use it for? What are you going to use it for? So it's not the technology itself. It's what's behind it. And that is what we teachers need to, because maybe it's very cool, but it's going to be difficult for students. It's going to be, we don't have the bandwidth to really use it. We don't have the time, whatever. But we're so focused on the technology, not on the learning, that it's not going to be as cool as we thought it was going to be the first time we saw it. So it happened to me actually right now. I'm working with one school and I created this very cool digital portfolio that you have a master copy and then all of the students have a copy of that, but they're linked. So you can just keep on adding to that digital portfolio. Students just push refresh and then everything that you put on the masters like gets into their portfolio. But um, the school was not ready and it was not ready for different reasons. They didn't have the bandwidth. So they were working with portfolios, but internet was not working because it was Google Slides. Students didn't have also the, you know, they forgot to push refresh. Teachers also forgot to remind them to do that. So it actually didn't, didn't work. So uh, it's really, we need to know our audience. We need to know our students. We need to know our teachers. So as administrators or consultancy or whatever, we need to. So creativity also, and that's what I was saying, innovation really needs to be um, innovation and creativity needs to be authentic for whoever it's intended to. So it doesn't really work if you want to do this, if it, it's not going to work for that audience, it's not going to work for those students, for those teachers, it's not authentic for that territory. It's very different what a rural area school is going to need and it's, what's going to be you know, important for them and what is going to be authentic for a more you know, and, and even in different cities, what they need, what there are some areas that um, have water shortages. So if you do water projects with them, it's going to be massive. But there are other areas that really don't see like they know there's water scarcity somewhere else, but it's not real to them. So why are we going to address those issues? Maybe they have a more important issue with cyberbullying or other things that in other areas they don't even because they don't really have in good internet access so it's not even an issue they don't have cell phones or cell phones don't really work so it's really important to understand the context when you're trying to foster creativity it needs to be authentic so lola you coming on the show is giving me an opportunity to talk about the book that you and Cindy have, have worked on and published and it's called 20 Lessons to Weave Creative Thinking into the Curriculum. I kind of like want to ask you to tell us a little bit more about the book, but I also am very sensitive to the fact that I haven't really given uh, Cindy, we haven't given an opportunity for Cindy to talk about the book as well. So perhaps, Lola, you could tell us a little bit about the book and then um, I, I 
it's kind of weird, but I feel like I'm also kind of asking the question to you as well, Cindy. So um, you're kind of like transitioned into the guest now. The process of the book, it was, um, I remember being a student at the master's program um, and I wanted to do an independent study. I remember I talked about uh, Weaving Creativity, first book, which I read before going into the program. And I think that was great for me, but there are a lot of teachers that really need a step-by-step. They want, but because they need some certainty. You know, when we were talking uh, just now, Matthew, when you said, copy something. You know, uh, Cindy was saying, like, the teacher said, copy something and then you can add to that. And I believe that what 20 Lessons to Weave Creative Thinking um, into your curriculum helps do that. Teachers could copy that lesson. And then when they feel comfortable and they know how it works, they can build on that and do something different and be more authentic to their students. So once we were at, at Cindy's office sitting on their beanbags and she said, let's write a book. So I remember, I remember that day. So we started writing this book a long time ago and it was almost done, but then COVID came and we said like, our teachers really prepared to a new book right, right now. So then we pushed the brake a little bit just so teachers were more open uh, to when it came out. And now it's out. So, and it's out in English and Spanish, which is also very important for me because I feel there's so much information for for English speaking teachers, not as much information for Spanish, the Hispanic um, teachers uh, and educators. So this is a, a, an excellent resource for them. And I really hope to produce more in the future, you know, to help teachers uh, acknowledge their own creativity, that they are creative beings and they can put their creativity to service to their students and connect to their purpose in teaching, have fun. You know, after COVID, teachers are not having that much fun. And I think we need to connect with that. And I really hope this helps teachers connect with that. So for me, when when I launched Weaving Creativity into every strand of your curriculum, which focuses on 20 skills, most of them came from E. Paul Torrance's work, who is known as the father of creativity and education. Teacher said, I love this book. And do you have a script? <laughs> and I was like, I can't make a script for creativity. Like, you need to, you know, take these ideas and let them spark. And I trust you and you're going to do wonderful. And they said, I, it would still be great if you had some sort of script. And so when Lola, when I was reading Lola's stuff, I said, what if we use the Torrance incubation model for creative teaching and learning as a model to help teachers bring these creative thinking skills into any lesson, but we give them a framework for each skill and we give them a lesson for each skill that they could integrate so teachers are loving it, and I think it's really giving them a better understanding of the possibilities and what might be done for authentic learning purposes in the classroom. And so we've been getting great feedback. But again, it came out in COVID when a lot of teachers were you know, struggling to like pull things together to go online. So it was a little bit of a stressful launch. Listening to your responses, and it goes back to what you said. In fact, that the first question that we explored, Lola, in the episode was this idea of deliberate creativity. And you know, with with this book, really, it's a script. To to your point, Cindy, it's a script on on that teachers can take and then deliberately identify a creative thinking skill and then deliberately integrate it into their classroom. So, if you're a social studies teacher and you're working on a social science class, or you're an elementary school teacher who's maybe kind of like going through a math sheet 
there is an opportunity for you to utilize this as a resource, identify creative thinking skill that you think you can deliberately integrate into this lesson. And the goal would be for students to get better at that particular skill. And therefore, you're actually promoting and, and facilitating creative thinking and creative learning as a consequence of that. Is that, is that kind of like a good, an okay summary? An excellent summary, but I would also add, this also helps make learning uh, stick better because you're creating a different way of um, students interacting with that specific content. So it makes it more memorable. So if you're really using a game to study for a quiz or a test, that it's something that happens regularly, it's going to become more memorable. So also our brain connects, so it's wired to with emotion. So if students are having fun, it's going to be wired stronger in our brains. So it's also going to make that experience more memorable. Also, they're going to identify a specific creativity skill that they were developing. So it serves both purposes. And that's the Tim piece as well. And I, I've been a student in Cindy's classes and, and, and Susan Keller Mathers at Buffalo State. And you do, you, you kind of remember those lessons um, as a consequence of them, I think, applying the Tim model. And, uh, you know, all these, all these fun activities that kind of weaved into those, those learning experiences, you know, it makes it extra special when you go away and you, you feel like you've had a wonderful learning experience. It's not just, uh, it's, very, it's very untypical of what we normally associate with a classroom environment. And I think... There's a lot here that you need to just trust the process. You know, sometimes when people read it and say, it's, it doesn't really appeal to some people that are much more scientifically based, maybe. I don't know. I'm very scientifically based as well. But people like really need, you know, certain structures. And so I think this brings some structure into that. But just apply it and learn from it. So we also put in the book like a process, like how to get started with Tim. And there is, you know, it's not just doing the, the session, it's do the session, talk with colleagues, share your experience, see what you could do better next time and do it again. So it's not just do it once because students also need to get used to it. You know, also like train their brains to, to learn differently. They've been learning in a certain way for so many years that you cannot expect maybe the first lesson is not going to work as it's scripted in the book. Because students might not behave or they might not engage. Maybe the topic that you chose was not the best topic in that moment, but you need to try it again and you need to create a culture of learning with your peers as well. So learn from your students what went right, what, went, what could be done better and try it again. Well, I'd like to thank you, Lola, for coming on the show. It's been insightful. I think anytime we have an opportunity to kind of like talk, you know, about theoretical concepts and has they're applied in the classroom is just excellent. We, Cindy and I absolutely love that. But we do have to wrap it up and we, we wrap up every show by asking our guests to provide three tips that teachers can use to encourage, facilitate creativity in the classroom. Okay, so the first tip is you need to see yourself as a creative person. You are creative and you need to put that creativity to service to your students. And that is going to help you connect with your purpose uh, to you know, have fun being a teacher. So the second one would be that, have fun, enjoy it. What you're doing is a vital work, but we cannot be too serious about it. So if we're not able to cover all of that curriculum or all of that you know, standards, whatever, 
as long as students are engaging with learning, it's going to be, it's good teaching and it's going to be good learning if, if it's been memorable. And don't do it alone. I mean, you can try for a while, but you're not never going to be able to stick with it for a long time if you're doing it by yourself. So you need to find your kinder spirit or your creative tribe to test things and try things out and, you know, have each other's back. I need to, I don't know, um, shade my whole classroom by, you know, in five minutes before students come in because I'm going to do a space unit and we're launching it. So you need to have people that are going to help you to like come up with those crazy things. Thank you so much, Lola, for joining us today. And if you're interested in looking at our 20 Lessons book, take a look at the link in her bio because we will include a link to the first two chapters of the book that you can download for free. This concludes this episode of the Fueling Creativity and Education podcast. If you like this episode, please leave us a comment on your favorite podcasting platform. If you have any questions, you can reach out to us at questions at fuelingcreativitypodcast.com. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. And my name is Dr. Matthew Wood. This podcast was produced by Creativity and Education and in partnership with dadsforcreativity.com. Our editor is Sina Yousafzadeh.